The first reading this morning is taken from Revelation, chapter 8, which is on page 1,239 in the Church Bibles. Page 1239, Revelation, chapter 8, beginning at verse 1. When he opened the seventh seal, there was silence in heaven for about half an hour. And I saw the seven angels who stand before God, and to them were given seven trumpets. Another angel, who had a golden censer, came and stood at the altar. He was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. The smoke of the incense, together with the prayers of the saints, went up before God from the angel's hand. Then the angel took the censer, filled it with fire from the altar, and hurled it onto the earth. And there came peals of thunder, rumblings, flashes of lightning, and an earthquake. Then the seven angels who had the seven trumpets prepared to sound them. The first angel sounded his trumpet, and there came hail and fire mixed with blood, and it was hurled down upon the earth. A third of the earth was burned up, a third of the trees were burned up, and all the green grass was burned up. The second angel sounded his trumpet, and something like a huge mountain all ablaze was thrown into the sea. A third of the sea turned into blood, a third of the living creatures in the sea died, and a third of the ships were destroyed. The third angel sounded his trumpet, and a great star, blazing like a torch, fell from the sky on a third of the rivers and on the springs of water. The name of the star is Wormwood. A third of the waters turned bitter, and many people died from the waters that had become bitter. The fourth angel sounded his trumpet, and a third of the sun was struck, a third of the moon, and a third of the stars, so that a third of them turned dark. A third of the day was without light, and also a third of the night. As I watched, I heard an eagle that was flying in midair call out in a loud voice, Woe, woe! Woe to the inhabitants of the earth because of the trumpet blasts about to be sounded by the other three angels. Please turn over to the next page. We pick up at chapter 10, the angel in the little scroll. Then I saw another mighty angel come down from heaven. He was robed in a cloud with a rainbow above his head. His face was like the sun, and his legs were like fiery pillars. He was holding a little scroll, which lay open in his hand. He planted his right foot on the sea, and his left foot on the land. And he gave a loud shout, like the roar of a lion. When he shouted, the voices of the seven thunders spoke. And when the seven thunders spoke, I was about to write... But I heard a voice from heaven say, 
Seal up what the seven thunders have said and do not write it down. Then the angel I had seen standing on the sea and on the land raised his right hand to heaven. And he swore by him who lives forever and ever, who created the heavens and all that is in them, the earth and all that is in it, and the sea and all that is in it, and said, There will be no more delay. But in the days when the seventh angel is about to sound his trumpet, the mystery of God will be accomplished, just as he announced it to his servants, the prophets. Then the voice that I had heard from heaven spoke to me once more. Go, take the scroll that lies open in the hand of the angel who is standing on the sea and on the land. So I went to the angel and asked him to give me the little scroll. He said to me, take it and eat it. It will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. So I took the little scroll from the angel's hand and I ate it. It tasted sweet as honey in my mouth. But when I had eaten it, my stomach turned sour. Then I was told, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. This is the word of the Lord. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that your voice speaks life, stirs hope, and brings peace. And we ask that you would do exactly that through your word to us this morning, for Jesus' sake. Amen. Do please be seated. Well, we have a challenging passage from the Bible uh, to look at today. We have four chapters, and four chapters of Revelation, and four chapters of Revelation on the theme of judgment. And just a few minutes to unpack it all. If you think this is a tall order, well, you're in good company. Uh, think of, listen to these quotations from two great Christian thinkers and writers of the last hundred years. John Stott says of these verses, you know, these chapters, it is gener- generally agreed that chapters 8 to 11, our passage today of Revelation, are difficult to interpret. I'll say And Karl Barth said, if only I knew what to do with Revelation. And we may be tempted to think, well, if that's how they think, what hope is there for us? I'll never understand this, so let's not even bother. And I guess that's probably how many people have uh, reacted to Revelation over the years. I have to confess that I've never preached on these later chapters of Revelation consecutively in over 30 years in the ordained ministry. Uh, Then again, I'm not sure how we'd get on in a school chapel if we went through Revelation chapter by chapter each week, but that's another story. But bear with me, because I think if we get the big picture of Revelation, I don't think we need to worry too much about the the, the fine detail, but if we get the big picture, uh, this is fantastic stuff. If you're new to St. Michael's, or you're just a visitor today, or you simply want a little refresher, let me just give you the context or as they say in all good soap operas, the story so far. Chapter 1, verse 1 of the book of Revelation, tells us that God gave this revelation to John and to the church to show what must soon take place. 
chapter 4, verse 1, God shows John an open door into heaven and says, I'll show you what must take place. Rather like when you've been summoned to the boss's office and you can just see the door is ajar, you can just see through a crack in the door, you get a bit of a picture of what's going on inside. I think that's what we have here in in Revelation, a little glimpse of heaven. In chapter 5, verse 5, one of the things that John sees is the lion who has triumphed. And in the next verse, chapter 5, verse 6, the lion becomes the lamb slain, but now standing at the center of the throne. The lion and the lamb are clearly Jesus Christ himself, once crucified, now glorified. Then last week, in chapters 6 and 7, we saw that life is very tough. The world is full of war and violence and injustice, and for the Christian, persecution. But if you get nothing else from these four chapters of Revelation today, if you get nothing else from the whole of the series throughout Revelation, remember this seven-word summary of the book. Life is tough, but the Lamb wins. Okay, can you remember that? Life is tough, but the Lamb wins. Last week, we saw seven seals on a scroll. Later on in the book, we'll see seven bowls. Today, we're looking at seven trumpets. And I think it's helpful to think of these groups of seven as the same action, but seen from a different angle. Sports fans will understand the concept of the action replay. And when there's something particularly exciting, the cameras go back and look from this angle and from that angle and from the the other angle. And I think this is what's going on here. Revelation 8 to 11 is looking at a different angle to the events, same events in chapters 6 and 7. Now, as I got up this morning, drew the curtains... People were just going about their daily business. Someone was off walking their dog in the park. People were heading up to Victoria Coach Station. People were heading off to the uh, London Winter Run. Just going about their everyday life. But in Revelation, God draws back the curtain, that's what apocalypse means, and unveiling, to reveal things that would otherwise be hidden. Things largely unnoticed by most people. And he reveals the unstoppable power of God, the certain victory of God. And these seven trumpet blasts describe the period between Jesus's ascension and Jesus's return. So three pictures of life between Jesus's first coming and his second coming. And the first picture I want us to look at is the warning to the world. And this is chapters 8 and 9. These trumpet blasts, they're not victorious anthems, rather they're warnings of impending judgment, rather like the police siren that's effectively saying, look out. The first trumpet, chapter 8, verse 7, the earth is struck. Then the second, verse 8, the sea. Third, rivers, verse 10. Fourth, skies, verse 12. The fifth trumpet, sometimes called the first woe, is people. This is chapters, chapter 9, verses 1 to 12, as horrible creatures like locusts attack people. And the sixth trumpet 
is death, chapter 9, verse 18, as a third of mankind was killed. Now, there is no shortage of commentators who try to interpret all this very specifically, usually in events that have either just happened or are about to happen. I don't think that's the way we should, uh, we should interpret Revelation. For, so, for example, they see verse 7, where the, uh, a third of the earth is burned up as a nuclear fireball. And verse 12, the sun, moon, and the stars struck will be a nuclear winter. But I don't think that's the way to interpret Revelation. It's not a letter for a particular year in church history. It's for all Christians throughout history. So all natural disasters, earthquakes, tsunamis, floods, and so on, are a reminder that we live in a broken world, a fallen world, and the whole world suffers. All war, violence, terrorism, and persecution are a reminder that we live in a fallen world, a broken world, and many suffer. But did you notice that only a third of the earth suffers each time? So this is not the final judgment. This is just a warning. Just when we think that the most important thing in our world is my annual review with the boss tomorrow or my house move or my children's education or my boyfriend or girlfriend or my pension just when we think those sorts of things are the most important things of our lives some extraordinary disaster happens and we see it on our television screen read it in our newspapers it might even impact on us but these are to remind us like a trumpet call that life is short that we are powerless and the things that we think are important are often relatively trivial and God permits these interim judgments as a warning as a clarion call a trumpet blast to alert us to the impending final judgment now, the shocking result of these first six trumpet blasts can be seen in chapter 9, verse 20. Would you like just to, to look at those verses with me? Chapter 9, verse 20. At the end of the uh, sixth trumpet blast, the rest of mankind that were not killed by these plagues still did not repent of the work of their hands. Verse 21, nor did they repent. The whole purpose of this suffering is to bring people to repentance. But they still did not repent. Every disaster, every, every tragedy should say to us, it could be me next. Every disaster should remind us of our own mortality. Every disaster should lead me to get right with God and lead me in repentance and humble repentance. Now, some people would say, of course, these kind of disasters show that God doesn't care. Revelation says quite the opposite. These kind of things are acts of mercy. They are warning blasts from the trumpet of God to bring us to repentance, to bring us back to God. C.S. Lewis famously put it so neatly, God whispers to us in our pleasures. He speaks in our consciences but he shouts in our pain. 
And he concluded, suffering is God's megaphone or trumpet to rouse a deaf world. We watch our television screens and we see a catalogue of disasters, everything from flood, famine, terrorist atrocities to environmental disaster. And we ask ourselves, why does God allow it? And chapter 9, verses 20 and 21 Give us the answer, and it's a shocking answer. He allows it so that we can repent. But when these things happen, people still do not repent. God's warnings go unheeded. His trumpet blasts unheard. When I was about 17, I was sailing across the channel with a group of friends back from Brittany. And we were just a few miles off the south coast and we were suddenly enveloped by a pea soup fog. It was actually quite frightening. It was more frightening, frankly, than being in a storm because you don't know where you are, which direction you're going, or where land is. You don't want to hit land. And then, in the middle of this pea soup fog, came the great boom of the Needles lighthouse. It was a huge sound. It was actually quite alarming because it sounded quite close. But boy, were we glad to hear that trumpet, that foghorn, rousing us to the danger. Wake up. Listen out. Don't hit the rocks. The big question is, will we listen? So that's the trumpet warning to the world. Then the second picture is the witness of the church. This is chapter 10 and the first half of chapter 11. Now, this imposing angel in chapter 10, verse 1, is none other than Jesus Christ himself, very similar to the picture painted of him in Revelation chapter 1. He holds the scroll. That is the word of God. He's got the message in his hand. And he tells John, chapter 10, verse 9, to take it and eat it. He says, I will turn your stomach sour, but in your mouth it will be as sweet as honey. Verse 11, you must prophesy again about many peoples, nations, languages, and kings. So this message is, first of all, going to taste sweet in the mouth. Of course it does. When we read the gospel, when we hear the good news, it is great news. Message of God's salvation. And then as it sinks in, we realize that not everyone will love this news. The trumpet call is a, is a reminder of God's judgment, and they're hard words to hear. Not everyone will welcome the message of Jesus. Not everyone will heed the trumpet warnings as good news. Indeed, in the worst cases, some Christian messengers, some witnesses are treated badly. Chapter 11, verse 7. Now, when they'd finished their testimony, these are the two witnesses preaching the message, the beast that comes up from the abyss will attack them and overpower and kill them. Their bodies will lie in the street of the great city. Verse 9, for three and a half days, men from every people, tribe, language, and nation will gaze on their bodies and refuse them burial. Even worse, verse 10, the inhabitants of the earth will gloat over them and will celebrate by sending each other gifts because these two promises, these two prophets had tormented those who live on earth. 
These are bleak verses, aren't they? The witnesses do their job, they give their testimony, and they're attacked, they're killed, they're refused burial, and their killers celebrate their death. Sounds awfully like the the death of Jesus, doesn't it? Sounds awfully like the early church, as we read in the Acts of the Apostles and read the early church fathers. It sounds awfully like the church in China and in many other parts of the world today. Yet, chapter 11, verse 11, the church rises again. After three and a half days, a breath of life from God entered them, and they stood on their feet. God's word may be opposed, but it will not be silenced. Jesus has the ultimate victory. Life may be tough, but the lamb wins. Voltaire, the French philosopher and atheist of the 18th century, predicted that within 100 years of his writing, the Bible would be nothing other than a museum piece. 100 years later, not only was Voltaire's house owned by the Bible Society, it also housed a printing press, printing thousands of Bibles every year. A lovely little boot of Voltaire. God's witnesses are to take the gospel to a needy world. People won't always welcome it. They may well oppose it, but they need to hear it. They need to hear that foghorn, that trumpet blast, that reminder to get right with God. As we come to our events week, let's use this opportunity to tell people of the realities of God's love and truth and justice and grace. Matthew 16 says, I will build my church. This is Jesus speaking. I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So that's the witness of the church and the word that cannot be silenced. The third and final picture, if you think it's been bleak so far, cheer up. It gets a whole lot better. Chapter 11, verse 15. As the seventh trumpet sounded, Heaven's voice sang, and I think it probably sounds something like this. great way to have what a great thing to have at the absolute pinnacle of your oratorio verse 15 the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our lord and of his christ and he will reign forever and ever i think we were on about number three out of ten on the volume stakes there i think it's going to be a bit louder in heaven jesus christ is on the throne verse 15 He shall reign forever and ever. Remember, life is tough, but the Lamb, Jesus, wins. And do you see why these elders, these 24 elders, that is the whole church of God in verse 16, are praising God? 
Verse 17 says, We give you thanks, Lord God Almighty, the one who is and who was, because you have taken your great power and have begun to reign. They're praising Jesus because he is reigning on the throne of heaven. Verse 18, The nations were angry and your wrath has come. The time has come for judging the dead and for rewarding your servants, the prophets and your saints, and those who reverence your name, both great and small, and for destroying those who destroy the earth. They're praising Jesus not only because he's reigning, but because he's judging. Judgment can sound like a negative word. We talk about someone being critical and making harsh judgments. But when a judge makes a right and fair judgment, we say justice has been done, and that must be good news. It's a positive word. And Jesus is not only a a good judge or a fair judge, he's the perfect judge. He is awesome, he's holy, he's righteous, he's a perfect, just judge. Every Sunday as we say the creed, we say he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And we probably should have hallelujah after that because it's good news that wrongs are going to be righted, that God's perfect justice will reign. Our televisions tell us that the world is in a mess. Our own experiences tell us that life is tough. But life is tough, but the Lamb wins. Jesus is on the throne of heaven, and he will reign forever and ever. The promise of his return is a trumpet call, warning us to repent and get right with him. If you've never done that, There is nothing more important to do this morning. It's also a calling to Christians to keep repenting. It's not just a once-for-all thing when we first come to faith. Daily repentance. The promise of his return is a motivation to tell our friends about him. What a great opportunity we have in the coming weeks. The promise of his return is the cause for great rejoicing. One day, every wrong will be put right. Life is tough, but the Lamb wins. Hallelujah. Let's pray. The kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ, and he will reign forever and ever. We thank you, Lord Jesus Christ, that although life is tough, and for some of us very tough, And for some of our brothers and sisters around the world, they're paying the ultimate sacrifice for their testimony to you. We thank you that although life is tough, that you have won the victory on the cross and that you are reigning in heaven. And we have the prospect of being with you to share in that celebration one day. Please fill our hearts with joy today, for Jesus Christ's sake. Amen.